And we'll be looking today at Luke chapter 11. Um, uh, section of scripture you guys will be quite aware of, or you'll have read before, heard. Um, so if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Start in verse 1. It says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Four verses there that were just short, sweet, straight to the point. Um, And and it's a great great section of passage here. This idea of of being taught how to pray. And and I love it. It starts off, it says, one day Jesus praying in a certain place. And I don't know, I just sort of get this idea that, that this is maybe one of the places that Jesus went to often. You know, those, those sort of prayer places that you have. And I remember um, here, in, back in Australia, it was back when I was at university, there was this spot which, it, it kind of, it was really high up building and it was like a veranda and it basically overlooked the main uh, sort of walkway into campus. And the, the students, we'd all get there early in the morning and we would pray as all the students are coming up the walkway. And it was just, I just have so many great memories there. Those certain places. And here it's it's been Selly Oak Park. And it, uh, it's such, it's a nice park. It's not too crowded. And, and it's just been amazing being able to go there, pray. And even just seeing the seasons change from death and decay, no leaves, to all of a sudden this new life. And it's just those memories of those certain places that we pray. And I have a feeling that Jesus must have had these certain places. Places that he had those memories. And I think we really need that too. That, that we, have, we build memories with each other, which is awesome, but, but need to build those memories with God as well. And uh, anyways, and his disciples, they, they obviously see him or hear him, and, and they waited until he finished, so they, they were very polite, which is awesome. And, and he goes... Alright, he's been teaching about the Good Samaritan, so yet being neighbourly, and, and then he'd been this sort of interaction with Mary and Martha, which we looked at last week, and, and that idea of, okay, there's so many things to worry about in this life, but one thing is needed sitting at my feet. And then he comes to this part, and, and obviously Luke has compiled this in a certain way, but, but you get his part, and it's almost like the, the third thing. Yep, being a neighbour, loving those as you love yourself being with Jesus, a relationship. And then he says, we also need to pray. We also need to speak with God. And again, you, you get this idea that that prayer isn't just this thing that just we just figure out how to do it. Or we're born that way. It's something that needs to be learnt. And that's, that should be really reassuring. Because I'm sure we've all had that person that you've maybe heard pray or you've heard a lesson and they prayed or you've heard stories about a person and you're like, how do I do it? Like, I wish I could pray like that. But 
here it is, is that we, we can learn how to pray. That if there is that person that you think, oh my goodness, I would love to be able to pray like that, we can learn that. And really, we want to be like Jesus. And so we read this, I, I want to pray like Jesus. He had all night prayers, all sorts of crazy things, but we don't just do it for the sake of it, but because we want a relationship with Him. And, and again, again, it should give us heart that, that it's okay to find praying tough. That, that we will find it tricky. There will be times where it just feels so hard to connect. But it's this encouragement that no matter who you are, you can learn how to pray. And again, this is, this is the only time really in the Gospels where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to do something specifically. And it's amazing. They didn't ask him, hey, teach us how to put together a sermon, teach us how to uh, do this, do that. I'm sure there was those elements, but written and recorded in Scripture... Teach us to pray. That that to Jesus, this was going to be one of the most important things they could ever do. Is connecting with God. That it's that important. And and I, I really feel like I relate to the disciples here. Obviously, you know, we always share our, our great times where we've had great prayer times walking through the park or whatever. But there are also those times where it's just been kind of rubbish. And we're just, it's, it's just tough to connect. And, and I know myself, I struggle with that, having that consistent heartfelt prayer. That sure, the, the quick prayers we shoot up, like, I'm, I'm 30 minutes over my parking ticket, I hope I haven't got a ticket. <laughs> yeah, we pray those prayers, but, but I'm talking about this, this heartfelt connection to God. That can be really tricky, can't it? And, and, and the Jews, they had... They had lots of fixed prayers. Um, Judaism was filled with fixed prayers, rituals. Um, and, and I think that part of that, it's really good to have something common. This, this, it adds this sense of like community, that, that they're in this together. And so the Lord's Prayer was, the, the, again, the disciples had seen John teaching his disciples how to pray. And they would have seen the Pharisees do the same. And, and, and they're saying, well, what's our prayer going to be? Teach up what's going to bind us together. And it's, it's just a sense of identity. And it's kind of like when... I, I haven't actually... You guys haven't done this whilst I've been here, but I'm assuming you guys sing the national anthem, right? Yes? No? Does it ever get sung? What about at sports matches? Yes. No? Okay. Kind of... In the rugby, does. In the rugby, Yeah. Wow. There you go. But what's a, what's a national anthem meant to do? It's like binds you together. And and I can remember back in Australia watching the football and it was it was the Australians were trying to get into the World Cup for like it might have been the first time ever or the first time in who knows how long. Two thousand six. Two thousand six. And and I was at the match and we we beat Uruguay and we made it in. And people were crying. Yeah. And they were singing. It was a national anthem that got sung, but they sung this other Australian song, which I don't know if you guys will know it. But um, what is it's, uh, I come from the land down under. Have you ever heard that song? Yeah. I come from the land down under. Yeah, anyway, it, it, but it just you just felt that people were like were hugging people they don't even know. People were crying. People were bonded together, and it was awesome. And that's what prayer is meant to be for us. That all over the world there are people in Asia, Europe, America, Australia, all over the place 
coming together, different languages, but they come together and they're united by the communion and by praying. That that unites us. And now the Lord's prayer here in Luke 11, you you read this and it's sometimes kind of different to the mainstream Lord's prayer that we know. And, and that's because there's two times it happens, one in Matthew chapter 6 and, and one here, and they parallel each other. And um, The Matthew 6 one was done on the Sermon on the Mount, and the Luke 11 one was done as he's on his way to Jerusalem. So Jesus did this a few times, probably more than twice. But he, he t- taught this multiple times. And again, there's a difference in the prayer. So it's, it's not that we need to pray this exactly. It's not that this is you must stick to this. It's more of a, a guideline. A here, this is how you should pray. Not these are the exact words you should say. And, and I know because when you just stick to like liturgy and ritual, you can lose the heart, can't you? And I, I went to a Catholic school back in Australia, and and we it was an old boys' school, and we would be out outside um, playing football, uh, rugby, or touch rugby, and, and stuff like that, and. And you'd be people would be swearing, sort of punching. It was sort of it's real rough, rough, rough. And then you get into class, and we would, okay, uh, Father, hallowed be your name, and, and you have all these guys saying it. But there was no heartfelt conviction, myself included. There was the heart wasn't in it, and and it became a empty ritual. And so Jesus doesn't want that. Jesus wants this to be important, to have impact, not just to be rigid. But to, to give this, um, to have our heart in it. And, and the way he starts, he starts with Father. And this is all about intimacy. It's this the Aramaic word, Abba, which is more like Daddy. It's this intimacy that, that the, the Jewish faith prior to this, obviously Jesus is a Jew, but the Jewish faith prior to this, they would never speak to God like this. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. God is not just your Lord, Master, King of Kings. He's your Father. He's your Daddy. And He wants to spend time with you. He wants to know you. He wants to be so bonded with you. And so you get this, it's this intimacy. But, it, but there's also a level of authority to it as well. Kind of like when you're young and, and maybe your mum says... Wait till your father gets home. We're having a chat. And he'd, I'd always say, oh no, what's going to happen? So there's a level of authority, but it's intimate as well. It's these both things working together. And, and it's also this, again, like I said, it's a communal prayer. Teach us to pray. Uh, give us each day. Forgive us our sins. Lead us. It's this thing we do together as a church. And so let's look at, at really quickly five different things that our prayer life should be as a church and as disciples of Jesus. The first one is, is hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a word that I feel like I've only heard in Harry Potter with the deathly hallows and all that. It's not a word we use very often. But uh, the Greek word, word is hagios and it just means holy. Holy is your name. That, that he is meant to be approached as someone who is Holy. And just write this down, I'll just read this scripture out in Isaiah chapter 6. It says, In the year King Uzziah died, I, this is Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, 
Each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And, and it's, a, it's a long scripture and spend some time reading it, but it's, it's great. Isaiah is in the temple and the presence of the Lord fills it. And it's this intense scene, and we won't get into it all completely, but, but you have these creatures and they're shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. How holy is our God. And Isaiah is just humbled. Humbled by this holiness. And my lips are unclean, and these seraphim bring this hot coal and, and obviously put it on his lips and say, Now your lips are clean. Your sin is free. And for us, that's the cross. For us, that's what we, what we, we heard in the cross from Roy. This idea that, that we are covered, we are made clean, and we can come before God. But, but this should humble us, His holiness. Woe is me. I am nobody. It, it should bring humility. That, that we, we stand before God only because of the sacrifice He made. That, that's it. But yet sometimes it can be so hard to pray about this sort of stuff, can't it? We've, we get so consumed with life and, and then we and things that are going wrong and so we, we rush to pray about, oh, God help me with this, help me with that and, and life gets so consuming and we lose track of who God really is. Or we just, we, I know I should be thankful for God and um, talk about holiness so we, we come up with something but we're kind of like, thank you God for... Um, Oh gee, um, the fact that we have this building and uh, my friend Bob over there and um, you're awesome, thank you, amen. Let me get on to the rest of my stuff. And we lose this reverence and humility for God. And so I think if, if this is something you find tricky, something that, that might be helpful is, is to pray through what I, I call like an A to Z attributes of God. Where, where you just you, you go through the alphabet and you start with A and you start describing God with each letter. So God, you, you are amazing. You are awe-inspiring. You are accepting of me. You and, and you then you go on to be and, and and you just spend some time recognizing how holy our God really is. And that just sets you up for the rest of what's about to happen. But but we need that. We we need to see how holy he is. And, and with recognition of his holiness there should be a sobering understanding that, that how each of us live reflects Him. It's this idea of us, we, we represent God, don't we? That, that how, what people see of us, they start to see, think of God. And, and it's going around on university, so many people love to use the excuse, I don't believe in God because of hypocrite Christians. And you think, oh, 
Amen. We're always going to be sinful, so in a sense we'll always be hypocritical to that degree. But but obviously they're talking about the extremes. And we need to say, let that not be me. Let, let me represent God. And it's that, again that idea of representing in, in, in high school, um, you know, we at sports stage you like to represent your school or your house or your team and uh, in rugby or football or swimming, and you love to represent. And in uh, in the Ashes, you love to represent until you find out your country has been cheating, <laughs> and then you no longer want to support. No, but in the World Cup, you it's coming up, and you love to represent your team. And it's amazing if if some of the players do poorly, you you might say yeah, that player did bad, but you also say, man, that country did bad. Like I, I, I really like England. I'm not just saying this. My second favorite football team, obviously after Australia, but I really like them. But they have just been terrible in the World Cup, the last few World Cups. And but my thought is that the individual players. I'm like, England is not very good at football at the moment, are they? Because these people represent the country, so to speak. And and I'll let you in on a bit of a strange thing. There's this in rugby league. There's this this uh, sort of event called the State of Origin. And it's between, it's between two, basically, there's a state in New South Wales where Sydney is, and there's a state, Queensland, where uh, Brisbane is, and, and Queensland's where Scotty's from. And basically what happens is each state gets their best players together, and they just fight it out in rugby league, and it's intense. It's the best. It's, it's epic. And it's just this, you representing your state with so much passion. And speak to Scotty because Queensland have not been doing very well recently. He's got lots of heartbreak about it, I'm sure. That's not true at all. Out of the last nine years, I think New South Wales has won like once and Queensland has won anyways. It's messed up, but but representing. And, And we're representing God. We're representing God. What do people think of God's name because of my life? The language I use. How I am on the sports field. How I am at home, at work, whilst driving, or at school. Is his name more holy because of my representation? Or is it less holy because of what I do? Or do people even know that I represent him? Could be another question. Maybe we just need to say, like... This is, this is a big part of my life. But, but these are the questions we need to ask. The prayer itself drives us to an awareness that I'm a disciple of Jesus and I need to represent my father, my dad in heaven. I don't want to give my earthly dad a bad name and I don't want to give my heavenly dad a bad name. What, what am I like? Hallowed be your name. We say it, but do we live it? And it's God's name honoured by your life. Secondly, this idea of kingdom come. That our prayer should be filled with this idea of kingdom come. And, and we often think of kingdom come or a kingdom as like a spatial sense. Like the United Kingdom, this country. and uh, It also has this reign sense as well. The United Kingdom under the Queen, I guess. But, but really the kingdom of God is in a spatial sense. It's, it's really all about God's reign. Being under his reign, under his... <coughs> kingdom under his control so to speak and and again in Matthew chapter 6 it, it, it expands it says your kingdom come and here it says your kingdom come but then it says 
in Matthew 6, your will be done. And that's what they call Hebrew parallelism. Parallelism, that's a hard word to say. And basically it's, it's the same thing said twice in different ways. Or to expand. And so your kingdom come and your will be done are, are the same thing. They're just expanded upon, said slightly different. And so he's trying to make a point here that, that when you're in God's kingdom, when we pray for God's kingdom to come, when we pray for his reign, that we're praying that his will will be lived out in our lives. That his will will come to fruition. That, that there will be righteousness, justice, love, and that evil will be eliminated. In our lives and in this world. And that idea of when you repent and get baptized, you submit to God's reign, He adds you to the kingdom, He adds you to the church. And at that moment, He becomes our Lord. And someone who says, Well, God and I are fine, but I'm not actually really involved in the church. I, it, like, that, that doesn't fit. Because when God is our Lord, we obey His will, His word. And that that we are in this together as a body, as a family, as a church. We need to be under his reign. And and again, when we ask for his kingdom come, we're asking for his reign to be more and more. God, I I want my life to follow your will more and more. Please make it more evident. Make it more obvious. Lord, reign in my heart and in my life. And thirdly, this idea of Give us each day our daily bread. And and that idea of praying for for your daily bread. Now I know those of you who are gluten-free probably find this tricky. (laughs) But it's in the Bible so you need to pray for it, I guess. Maybe you're praying for some miracle so that the molecular structure of the bread changes and the gluten is removed. I don't know, but, but we need to pray for, not daily bread, but daily provision. Daily provision that... That God will provide for us. And in, in the Old Testament, well, in Judaism they had about 18 benedictions or prayers where they would pray for their annual food. And God's kind of saying, or Jesus is saying, Look, no, 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 not just a one-time thing. Or This is about each day reminding that, that we need God's provision. We need to rely on Him. Otherwise, we get swept up in life's cares and worries, and we think we need to take care of it all ourselves, like what we read in Mary and Martha. And but we need to say, God, you, you you will provide my needs. Let me rely on you. And, and I think this is really tough because I, I depend on Sainsbury's and ASDA, and if I'm feeling a little fancy, maybe Waitrose. I, I depend on them. I don't even think that God needs to provide my daily needs. We just go on with life. But we need to slow down and realise, wow, not just we live in a lucky country, but God provides for our needs without us even realising it. And we need to be thankful and keep going back to Him for our needs. But but do we really believe that? Does our, does our prayer reflect that? Because if we really believe that, that we need God for our daily provisions, our daily uh, the shelter, our clothes, our food, we would pray a lot about it, wouldn't we? But so often we're like, well, that's just, that's all sorted. Don't worry about it, God. I don't need you for that. Let me get on to the important stuff. But no, we need to go to God for the simple things in life as well. Again, it's, 
this, I guess we, and I think we, we find it so tricky because we don't experience famine in this world. I, I, maybe some of you have been in countries or come from countries where that does happen. And to rely on food is really a daily survival or clean water. Yet we take it for granted, but we need to go back to God and say, God, I need you for daily provision. I need you for daily provision. Fourthly, forgive us our sins. And in verse 4, he says, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. This idea of, of, of who do we forgive? Everyone. The Greek word panta just means all. Forgive all. That there's no one that should be outside the reach of our forgiveness. Which is pre-challenging. So challenging. When you've maybe just been in some sort of conflict. Or you've had someone do something to you. Or whatever this is. That can be the hardest thing you'll ever have to do. But, But when we ask God to forgive us. We should be ready to recognize that. That what we ask of God, we must be willing to do ourselves. And this is, it seems so self-evident, yet God forgives me, so I should obviously forgive others, but that is so hard. And we so easily think, yeah, it's your job, God, to forgive, and it's my job to never, ever forget. <laughs> I've, I've, I've sort of forgiven, but I'm never going to forget what that person did. We say, no, no, it's each and every one of our jobs to forgive. Mm-hmm. To forgive. Forgiven, And why? Again, in, in the parallel in Matthew 6, says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's just, it's unbelievable scripture. It's so scary. And each and every one of us can think of someone that, oh, that, if, that, that is so hard. But, but it's here. And we need to pray about this. Not just, oh gee, I really I talk to people about it, get counselling. Yeah, amen, do those things. But, but we need to really pray daily for this. Maybe there's someone that you think, yeah, I really need to pray daily to love this person. I know for myself, I've, I've been studying out love recently because I think there are some people that I've just had some conflict with that I, I need to love. And I don't want to love. But we have no excuse. Because God has loved us so much. Again, this is so serious. Let's be people who forgive. That we forgive complaints, debts, sins. And and no matter who, all. And because I think when we carry grudges, when we carry uh, ill will, when we carry uh, like a suspicious nature of people, we just haven't really grasped this idea of how much God has forgiven us. We haven't figured it out because when we really do, we're happy to forgive anyone. So this is something we need to pray about daily and dwell on daily. That we should be leaving our times of prayer without resentment, without bitterness, Without grudges, without an attitude, without feeling the victim. But that we say, God, I'm leaving that in your hands. Whether this person is sorry, repented, changed, I can't, I can't do much of that. 
but I can control whether I forgive them or not. And let, let's have quiet times and prayer times where we leave with that heart. Let that be the goal. And finally, temptation. It says, lead us not into temptation. And this last request is, is for spiritual protection. It recognises the power of sin. How can we face its power and influence over our sinful nature without your help, God? How can I do that? This is this crying out to our dad for help. Help us from falling into that situation where we need forgiveness. And a wise disciple of Jesus knows that the only way to avoid falling into sin is to follow where God leads and to be dependent on him for protection. There's this spirit of dependence. But I know if you're like me, we don't start there. Most, most of us, when it comes to sin in our lives, face, we, we want to face it with sort of just sheer determination. Let me just grit my teeth and I'll just fight my way through it. I'll talk to a thousand and one different people. That's awesome. Do that. But I'll do all that. Let's hope I can find my way through it. And yet we don't go to God. Or we wait till we're already knee deep in the sin before we go to God. And... and and we, we even sometimes lead ourselves into situations. We go to places, we watch certain films, listen to certain music, around certain people or in certain conversations that we know will lead us astray in some way or another. Whether action, heart or mind. And we need to pray to God, God, help me avoid those situations. God, God at work... Give me the strength to be able to see that that conversation probably isn't one I want to be in and let me not go to it. Let me have the strength to leave it if it turns into one. Whatever it may be, but, but the prayer is, is, Lord, lead us even not into temptation. Not just sin, but temptation. This idea of almost cutting things off before it even gets tempting, which we also know from Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount said you're cutting off sin at the root. You set your schedules, you choose the programs you watch, the sites you visit, what you listen to, where you go, who you hang out with, and how's it going? How's it going? Is there something you know you need to cut out? Like, yeah, I've been playing with fire. Maybe I haven't sinned yet, but I'm playing with fire. And God, the temptation is to want to be proud and say, I can handle it. And amen, maybe, but, but Satan, Satan loves when we say that. Yeah, you can handle it. Adam, Eve, you can handle it. You're all good. God's just being legalistic. That's just legalistic saying you need to cut all these things out. Don't be ridiculous. But, but Jesus wants us to start with humility. That you know what? Maybe I can, maybe I can't. I'm just going to assume that I need God's help. Because we so often do. In so many areas. And I need your strength. And we go to God in prayer daily. And back in Sydney, um, I was a part of it. There was a, a group of guys who would get together uh, before work. And, uh, and it was great. We would sort of 
give each other advice, disciple each other, mentor each other, and uh, it was awesome. And, and we started sort of getting down this idea of uh, different things that would lead us into sin or, or just weren't good. Um, and, and we started talking about not things that were bad in and of themselves, but they weren't necessarily great. But, but one of them for me was a TV show, which was called How I Met Your Mother. And it didn't have a whole lot of swearing, it didn't really have sex scenes, but, but what they talked about was constantly sexual references, crude innuendos, and there was just this overall theme of sex. And as we were all discussing, I just got to the point where we're like, yeah, that, I, I realised that's something I need to cut out. I hadn't really been watching it recently, but, but I had invested £90 in the whole entire box set. And so I was like, but I was like, I, I can't watch that. Whether it's going to lead me to, to sin, it's just, it's planting seeds. It's not helpful. And so with some help, I was like, yep, let me get rid of this thing. What about you? Is there something, some situation, I don't know what it is that you need to cut out? Guys, pray daily for this. Lead me not into temptation. It's, it's also just so freeing to have some of these things out of your life. That, and, and again, we'll never regret it. Like even if it's, even if we go a little too far with getting rid of something out of our life, I don't know. You won't be in heaven thinking, "I really wish I had hung on to that How I Met Your Mother series." Got to be able to see a few more. No, we need to say, "I need you, God. Whatever it takes, lead me not into temptation." This idea of of being dependent on God—that's that's its prayer. Being dependent on God in all areas. On our daily provision. On, on yes, even, even the small things in life. To trust and rely on God. To, to, be this, to, to realize how holy God is. To represent Him in the way He deserves. To seek forgiveness and then lavishly give it to others. To have this, this heart of leaving not into temptation. That, that God wants this deep intimate relationship with him. This personal relationship, not because of how great we are, but because of how great he is. And I really want to encourage you to study this out. And if, if you're visiting with us today, study this out. Ask someone to study about this idea of having a deep personal relationship with God. It will change your life forever. It'll be so freeing that the the chains and and the slavery of sin will be released. But it starts with this daily prayer. So let's go to God in deep prayer. Let Him clear out the mess from our lives and feel that freedom that comes when we rely on Him. And, And we will see God change our lives in ways we never, ever could imagine. To God be the glory. Amen. Please, let's show our appreciation once again to, uh, to Matt for that. Uh, thank you for coming. As he interprets.
we're going to finish ourselves today by singing the national anthem. <laughs>